Hey, everybody, thank you for joining us today. We pray that this message reaches you wherever you are at today in whatever situation you are facing. We pray that the Lord ministers to your life. Hang on till the end, and I want to say a couple more things to you before we're done. If you wouldn't mind standing for the honor in honor of the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10 is where we're going to be. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. And there we read this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present, uh, the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus, we love you. We thank you you're here, that you're caring for us, and I pray you would continue to speak to us. And that we would see those odd ways that we fight as Christians that are a testament to the kingdom here on earth. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please say howdy to somebody on your way home. I love hearing all the howdies. That's really nice. That's really cool. We're in Oklahoma, so we got to be able to say howdy, right? It's all good. Well, in World War II, for Americans, about 16 million Americans uh, either were drafted or enlisted into the American military. It's a lot. Uh, and to and draft, to be in the military, you meant you knew you are going to be a soldier. And to know you're a soldier means you're going to get some sort of weapon and you're going to get some sort of combat skills because what you need to do is fight the opposition. You need to shoot at them, maim them, kill them, what, all those sorts of things. We're on a, off to a good start today talk, talking about that sort of stuff. But bear with me. You knew that's what you were going to do. It was just a no-brainer. You're going to have to do these things. But there was a man by the name of Desmond Doss who enlisted in the Army, was drafted and enlisted into the Army as a medic. And he was a little different. He's a little peculiar to everybody else because what he, what he would do is he refused to kill. He was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he refused to kill. He had made a vow to God, and he, he was determined to stick to that vow. Also, he would take time off on Saturdays. That's when Seventh-day Adventists have service. He would take time off on Saturdays because he believed the fourth commandment was important, which is honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. So he would take time off for that as well. And so he's looked at as kind of weird. He's made fun of all these sorts of things because he, he believes in God and country, but it has to be in that order. God has to come first and then country after that. So he, he knows there's a battle raging. He knows he's got to do something, but he refuses to kill, and he, ha he wants that time off so he can spend time with his Lord. So, of course, he's made fun of. He's, it's just going to happen. He's ridiculed all these sorts of things. So there's accounts of when he's at his bedside praying, um, they would chunk shoes at him. His fellow soldiers would chunk shoes at him. They would say all sorts of horrible, nasty things to him. His commanding officers would make his tasks and his chores and all those things harder because they're mocking him, ridiculing him. They think he's a coward because he won't pick up a weapon. They don't just see that he's just fighting in a different way. He's choosing to do something else. And so um, there's also an account of one of his fellow soldiers telling him, the first time we get onto the battlefield, I will make sure of it that you do not come back alive. Ridiculed. I mean, almost probably hated because he looks like a coward. But I want to tell you something. Desmond Doss was not a coward. He was anything but it. He just refused to fight the same way. So his motto is this. While everyone else is taking life, I'm choosing to save it. 
And so on battlefields and those so in, in, in any sort of war zone type of place, um, any, if somebody cried out medic, medic, that's what he was, was a medic, without any personal care for himself, he would run into the battlefield and he would take care of folks bring them back to where they need to be behind enemy lines or just take care of them right there. And he had no uh, care for personal regard at all. He did not care if he got hurt. He just wanted to take care of somebody else. You can most notably see this, and it's a movie as well. If you want to cry later, I'd go watch it. Um, It's called Hacksaw Ridge, and it's a true story of how the Americans are doing an attack. They get counterattacked by Japanese forces. There's a command to flee because it's just too much for them. And Doss refuses to leave, and for over 12 hours, he stays there and saves 75 men. He's not a wimp. He's not scared. He's just choosing to fight a different way. And then also, I didn't know this. This might be in the movie, and I just have a horrible memory, so maybe this was in there too. Um, but also not long after that Hacksaw Ridge, um, he's in a hole hiding from some enemies, and unfortunately a grenade lands right by him, kind of blows him back, and then while he's crawling away, he gets shot in the shoulder. So he's not feeling too great. But um, some soldiers come to get him, and he says, um, don't get me. I see somebody else wounded over there. Go get them first, and then come get me. They saved that guy. They saved Doss as well. Not a coward. Not anything near it. He just chose to fight in a different way. And only out of the 16 million Americans who were in the military during World War II, only 431 of them got a Medal of Honor. And Desmond Doss is one of those people. A man who never picked up a weapon, never did anything like that. And he has a medal of honor because he was no coward. He simply chose to fight a different way. And as Christians, I think we're called to fight a different way as well. It looks different. It looks odd to the world. And today, I'm not talking about how we fight each other in the church. That's not what I'm saying, right? Like how we don't get along. Um, I'm talking about how we fight the temptations, struggles, pains, wrongs, backstabbings, doubts, worries, those sorts of things. Because how we fight as Christians should not ever look like how the world fights. It should look different. How we fight should be both mind-blowing. When somebody sees us respond to something, their first words should be, what? That's how they responded to that? And it should be heart-captivating as well. It should blow their minds, captivate their hearts. It should look different. It should sound different. It should be different. It should almost be like it's upside down. So when we're responding to something, it's almost like somebody would look at us and their head be kind of like this. Like, what in the world are they doing? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't look right. And the Bible is full of stories of the people of God fighting in ways that look weird. Let me just give you a couple examples. Two examples you probably know. First is the walls of Jericho, right? There's a city in the way of the Israelites that the city needs to move, needs to get out of the way. And rather than God, like, having catapults fall out of the sky and giant flaming balls and, like, and then, like, guns and stuff like that, what does he say to do? He says, go to the walls and for six days walk around it once. And on the seventh day, walk around it seven times play some instruments. Musicians feel good about that sort of stuff. We're powerful. Um, But um, he does all that, and then what happens on the seventh day? They walk around seven times, play the instruments. The walls fall. You know how foolish and dumb they looked for those days? Probably pretty ridiculous. Probably pretty weird. And if you've ever seen VeggieTales, you know they chunked like slushies at them and stuff. Just kidding. So if you've ever seen VeggieTales, that's a VeggieTale uh, when, when VeggieTales was good. Anyways, shouldn't have said that. Um, but, and then there's another story in Judges 7 with Gideon. And Gideon's called to take out the Midianites. And there are thousands of them. And so Gideon gets an army together. He's got 22,000 people in his army, men in his army. So that's, that's, you can do something with that. You can. And, and God comes to Gideon and he goes, 
nah, I don't really want you to think you won this battle. I want you to know it's me. I'm taking care of you. I'm doing what needs to be done here because I love you and I want to take care of Israel. And so um, God says, here's the thing. Go to the men and tell them if you're scared, you can go home. And so 12,000 brave souls go home that day. They go home. And I mean, good thing for their honesty. So there's 10,000 left. You can still kind of work with 10,000. And then God says, ah, it's still too many. I want you to know I won this. And so then God, I, I don't understand the way God works sometimes. Maybe some of y'all afterwards can tell me the theology behind this. But he says, next time they're drinking some water, uh, look at how they drink. And if they lap it up like an animal, they're gone. If they cup it in their hands like a civilized person, um, they, then let them stay. He doesn't say civilized person. No, that's Corbin's interpretation. Not always trustworthy. And so after that, 300 people are left. That is not a lot, right? And then to make it even more ridiculous, God says to circle the Midianite camp. And again, blow some instruments, play some instruments. Again, musicians in the house, we're doing some things for the kingdom. All right, here we go. Um, but, then, um, but then they break some jars. Again, that looks foolish. That's odd, if nothing, right? That's weird. But that army flees, runs. And then it's, that battle is won by the Lord himself. So these are some odd ways that they fight. And so today I'm just going to talk about three ways we can fight God's way rather than the world's way. How to fight God's way rather than our natural inclination. How to fight through faith rather than through fear. And I'm going to tell you something before. This isn't in the notes, so it's dangerous. These are going to get progressively harder to digest as we go. Please don't throw your shoes at me, okay? Uh, just kidding. I think you'll be okay with them. I think you'll still love me after. But three odd ways we fight as Christians. Number one is this. We request backup. In other words, we ask for help. We cry out for help. So I want to tell you something. We Christians should be the last people, on, not just on the planet, but in the universe, that are ashamed to, embarrassed by, or afraid to ask for help. Because our whole life in Christ, if we consider ourselves Christians in here, is based on the fact that we cried out to God to save us, to help us. And we would not be where we are at in this moment if it wasn't for him. We should not be embarrassed at all. Psalm 34, 6, I love it. It says this, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Anybody there? But amen that? Yeah, like this poor man or poor woman cried, and the Lord saved us. But I want you to be real. Please, please be real with me. I want to get some participation with, you, with raising hands, okay? Who in here, like you just love with everything inside of you, helping somebody else? Can you raise your hand? Like, you, you, you love it. Some people are honest. They're not raising their hands. I'm not going to call you out, but, um, but uh, I don't really want to. Um, but, but most of us, we do, right? We, we love helping people. Now, keep your hand up if you also find it increasingly difficult to accept or ask for help. What if it's the same person? Like, you're helping this person, and they want to, like, return the favor, and you go, no, 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 no. I, I'm here to help you, buddy. I don't need no help, right? That's kind of where we find ourselves sometimes. And so why do we normally shy away from asking for or accepting help? I think there's tons of reasons. I don't think it falls just under this one. There's just one I want to focus on. And it's a phrase you'll normally hear people say when, when you're saying, I can help you. It's this, we don't want to be a burden. We don't want to be a burden. And now, before, before when I spoke, I said I'm kind of a word geek, so I like looking at the structure of a sentence. And if you notice, there's something happening in that sentence. It's not just, I don't want to share my burdens or, or burden somebody else with my burdens. This is an identifier. It's not that I just have burdens. It's I myself am one. That's different. Now, that's identifying you in some sort of way, in an awful, condemning sort of way, that you yourself are a burden. 
So let me remind you two things, Jesus and others. First, you might have burdens, but you are not and never can be a burden to Jesus. Can't. If you don't believe me, I'll back it up with some Bible. It has better things to say than me. Psalm 52, 55, 22 says this, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. First Peter 5, 7 says this, cast all your anxieties or all your burdens on the Lord because he cares for you. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, if you've been in Hobby Lobby for 10 seconds, you've seen this on a coffee cup, but man, is it good. Okay, this is it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Notice he says burdened, not those of you who are a burden. He says you are burdened. You have them, you are not one. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden, in, and my burden is light. And when it comes to other people, asking other people for help, you should never be a burden to somebody else who is a brother or sister in Christ. Never. Now, there might be a time or place. Don't use that against somebody later. Like if they're sleeping and you call them and you're like, hey, you got to help me right now because Corbin said, you know, you got to wake up right now. I need 20 bucks, man. Give me $20. I mean, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying, okay? But you should not be because we know, we, we know what it's like to cry out for help and need help. And we should always be a place of refuge and help for those who do not know the Lord. We should always be that way. And one of the best ways that we, let me say it as intense as I can, one of the best ways that we sock spiritual forces right in the face is when you ask for help. When you stop trying to be awesome on your own. You stop trying to control it all. When you, when you really show the spiritual forces and the darkness what's up, it's when you say, I need some help from the God and from some people around me. And so I think I've shared this story before, but bear with me. Just a story to help explain it. Because when I was in college, I had a work-study job, so whenever college wasn't in session, um, money wasn't in session. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was no money, and I had important things to do, like go watch movies and eat Taco Bell. So I had to have some money. Um, and my grandpa, he built homes. Um, he used to build homes in Shawnee, had his own company and stuff. And um, he offered me a job, and it was picking up at, at his homes as he was building them because there's a lot of clutter and dirt and trash and stuff that goes all around, and you clean as they go so they have an environment to work in. And the first house he gave me, I think he was trying to get me to not do it um, because the first house he gave me was a brick house. Um, he takes me there. There is just brick. All, I've never seen so much brick in my life. And when I have a house, I'm not going to put brick on it because I hate brick now. I just can't stand it. Um, but what he did is uh, he put me there and he said, man, when I was your age, I'm 19, 20 at the time probably, um, maybe 21. He says, I used to do this in like a day and a half. And you're thinking, thanks, Grandpa. Because now i got to compete with that, right? Like you did it in a day and a half. I sure as anything got to do it like in 12, like, like oh, just one, one day. That's all I need. And so I start... Um, I start doing the work. It took him a day and a half. Three days later, I'm still there. Haven't even made a dent in it. And I know, I know I'm in over my head and I know I need help. And he told me from the get-go he would help me. From the get-go. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to ask. So what I'm doing is it's really hot outside. I'm putting bricks in a wheelbarrow and then put, taking it to a dumpster. And I'm almost passing out and drinking lots of water. Most of what I'm doing is just crying. I'm getting paid to cry my eyes out. Um, and I'm, I'm still tall at that time. I'm not, I don't weigh, anyways, I was a twig. And so I'm, I'm the six foot, like six guy, like and people were watching. They just saw like this guy having an emotional wreck. I mean, it was just a horrible time. And eventually my grandpa comes up and he helps me. We get it done the next day, even though it's raining. He brings a tractor. We get all that done. But I knew, and unfortunately, I can't tell you I asked for help. I can't, I got to, I'm kind of um, the enemy of my story because I didn't ask. But I could have. 
And I think a lot of us are in a place where we know for a fact we are in over our head. We know it. But we won't ask for help. And I don't know if I can be as bold as to say it's because we're stubborn and we're arrogant. We can shout it, we can, we can cloud it in, well, I'm afraid to and all that, but it's because we just don't want to admit it. And we need help. And it's okay. One of our mottos in the church should always be this, it's okay to not be okay. And sometimes we get that confused. We always have to, like our face has to be transfigured when we walk in here and it's shining and stuff. That's not where we're at. That's just not what we're doing. So sometimes you just need to ask for help. Next, again, I'm talking to Americans in here, so this one really scares me um, because we're like, come and take it, man. So this one scares me. But this is another way you fight as a Christian that's odd. You ready? Retreat. Run away sometimes. Run. Let me clarify. I am not saying that you always run away from anything that's difficult or anything. There is a time to take a stand. There is a time to stay strong. And the Bible, even what we were reading, says stand firm. But there is also a time, specifically in regards to those things that tempt us to do things or act in certain ways or pollute ourselves with things that are not good for us. There is a time to run away. You don't believe me? Here we go. This is what the Bible says specifically about temptation. It says this, flee from sexual immorality. Flee it. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, so flee youthful passions, but instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. 1 Corinthians 10.13-14 says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved brothers, here's the word again, flee from idolatry. The Bible, and if you know some place, you need to tell me, please do, um, but the Bible never will tell you to um, fight temptation. It won't do it. You know what it says? Run from it. Keep your way far from it, because it, the Bible knows, God knows, if we're around it too much, we will give into it. You've got to get away from it and get to someone else. And so unfortunately, though, I think this is the idea we have of temptation. So say there's a boxing ring, okay? This is all hypothetical. And temptation's in the boxing ring. It's got its gloves on. It's ready to go. And so what we think is we're supposed to, like, stand by the boxing ring, put our gloves on, and, like, we're ready to go. If I didn't have this mic, I'd be losing my mind right now pretending I could box, which I clearly can't. You can see it in my form right now. Um, the only thing I'm boxing is like little Debbie's, you know what I'm saying? So like, um, I shouldn't, that was rant. Um, but like, uh, so, uh, but you get these boxing gloves on and you're ready to go and you're pumping yourself up. You got like some sort of awesome track playing as you walk into the, to the ring and stuff. And you don't just go under or like in the middle bar, you go over the top, which apparently means you're tougher than everybody else. If you go over the top, I don't really know. Um, I don't watch WWE, it's a man soap opera, just kidding, um, but I'm joking, it's, a, it's, it's cool. Um, but uh, I'll get in trouble for that later, come talk to me, I'm sorry. Um, but um, you get in the ring, and you're ready to go, and temptation's walking to you. The bell rings. You walk to it, and then you try to throw a punch, and, man, you get Ronda rousey Bam. You're gone. Out. Temptation knocks you out cold, and you think you're supposed to have these boxing gloves on and fight it, and every time, I'm going to be bold, every time you lose, every single time. If you don't get knocked out, what happens is, is you'll be fighting temptation, but since, and the Bible is clear on this in James, that we're tempted by things we desire, that we easily would give into. So if it doesn't knock you out, what it'll do is it'll tire you out so that you can embrace it. it doesn't, if temptation doesn't knock you out, it will tire you out. That is the way that it works. And so this is why we run from temptation. Although it seems cowardly, it is not. And so Mark Twain said this, there are several good protections against temptation, but the surest is cowardice. Get 
away from it. Stop trying to fight it. It will get you every time. And I can, if you want to talk later, we can. I'm not afraid to share it. We just don't have time to go over it. But I know what it's like to be wrapped up in something. It just has its grip on you. You don't think you get out of it. You continually try to fight. And it's when you finally say, look, Lord, unfortunately, I'm drawn to this. I don't like it. Help me get away from it. That's when you get help. I don't want to put spray. It's not, not, anyways. So the worship team would come up. It seems like we're closing. We're not. I'm a preacher, so we still got a little bit left, but I want them to be up here for a certain time. So um, here's the thing. I don't want you to be like, oh, man, two points. Wow, he's breaking the preacher tradition. I got three. Um, Here we go. So here's the thing. When we run away, I'm passionate about this. This It's the longest point I got. When we run away, we aren't running away with our tails between our legs. And I think sometimes because of the culture we're in, we think that if I'm running away, it's because I'm scared. That's not what we're doing. We're not running away because we're scared or fearful or anything like that. We're simply running away um, to someone else. We're not running away into thin air or anything. I'm running to someone else that can handle it. Because I can't. I'm not scared when I run away. I'm running to somebody who can beat up temptation. I'm running to somebody that when temptation sees him, it can't stand in his presence. I start running away, and then when it gets to him, it runs away in fear. It's not running to anything bigger or stronger than him. And, of course, I'm talking about God. Right? I run to him. He can handle it. James 4 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So when I say run away, I'm not saying cry your eyes out and go, oh, no, it's going to get me. It's uh, I'm about to show you up, but I'm not going to be the one to do it. I'm going to lead you to somebody else that's going to knock you out in a second. And you might not even be able to knock him out because it's just running away from his presence. And so then on the TV show, get ready, okay, on the TV show, hee-haw, all right? And I'm going to be honest, I'm 28 years old, so I can only share this illustration. I don't even know what this person looks like, okay? But it was a good illustration. So on the TV show, hee-haw, Doc Campbell has a patient who broke his arm in two places. And when asked how to heal the arm, uh, Doc says this, well, stay out of them places. And my question is, what are them places? I'm saying it as okey as I can, but what are them places that you need to stay away from, stay out of? Let me give you some examples of what running away looks like, because it's not literally like we're always running, right? I could use more running, but still, but like we could, um, we're always running. This is what it looks like. It means averting your eyes. When you see somebody who you might look a little too long at, that's running. That's, no, let me not look here. Let me, that's what running looks like. Running looks like this, refusing to slander someone or gossip about somebody behind their back. That's what running looks like. It's refusing to be a part of something and moving into something else. Here's one, a little too real. Refusing to type out a hateful comment. A lot of us are Facebook and Instagram theologians, and no one cares. We love you, but we don't need, that's not where theology needs to be, and most of the time it's not very good theology. Sorry, I'll get in trouble with that later. Um, keeping yourself away from places that easily trigger maybe past addictions, present addictions. That, that, that's one way you do that. Um, another way is this. I'm big on this thing. is putting limitations on this thing. Like put a limit on how long you can stay on your apps and stuff. And then let me show you something um, monumental. You ready? This is one way you can run from temptation. Can you hold that? You just get away from that thing. That thing is dangerous. I'm not trying to demonize it, but it's dangerous. You can just set it down there if you want. You just chunk it. I don't need it anymore. But that's breakthrough. I just get away from that thing. I don't sleep with that in the room. I don't need it. I, just don't, I want to read a book. I'm spending time with Caitlin. That sort of, like, I don't, we don't need that. And so last way that we fight in a very odd way. Some of you might see this coming. Um, I'm a preacher, so you know it starts with an R. Here we go. You raise the white flag. 
And to, that, to do that, most of us know it means to give up, to surrender, to submit. I know that last word's scary, but to just give up, to surrender. It's one of the best ways that we fight as Christians is we surrender. It's one of the, that's actually the way we first become a Christian, right? Is we surrender, we give up. So there's this pastor in, in, in New York City, and there's this really creative way that he leads people to Christ, really creative way. So they'll go on a walk. He'll invite somebody to go on a walk, doesn't know the Lord, and they'll be walking and they probably get some coffee. If you give me some coffee, you can talk to me for six hours, man. I don't know, just give me some coffee, we're good. So he gets their guard down with the coffee or the tea or whatever. Um, and he leads them to this statue, probably know it, I think it's in the Rockefeller Center. And he leads them to this statue, Corey, if you could put it up there. And it looks like this. And that is the Greek god Atlas holding up the world on his shoulders. And if you, if you could see it better, I know it's kind of far away. I mean, he's like, he's buff, man, like he's buff and tough. But if you look closely, you can see that the art's pretty intricate and he's actually straining underneath that weight. And this is not a display of um, like being a hero. This is a curse given to him by Zeus. And he's holding up the world on his shoulders. And when the pastor would say, and I'm saying it's all of us as well, he would say, this is us. We look like that. Because we think we've got to have the whole world on our shoulders and we won't just give it up. We, we choose to put the whole world on our shoulders and to carry that weight. Whether it's out of fear of asking for help from the Lord or others, or whatever it might be, we just won't surrender. We're just gonna keep holding it up even though we are absolutely exhausted and defeated and barely able to maintain it. If you can see like his knees, it's all that they're buckling. Like he's just like, oh, please help me. Somebody take this. But then after that, he'll lead him to another spot, not too far off. And it's another statue. It's a smaller, very small. And of course, if you could put that up there, he leads him to this. I don't know if you can tell what's going on there, but that's a, just a depiction of Jesus as a small child. Small child. And if you look in his left hand, he's holding something. And it's earth. It's the world. He's not straining. And in that depiction, he's a small child. He's literally just sitting there. I mean, he's got, he's literally, it's almost like he's going peace. I mean, it almost looks like, but he's, it's not what he's doing. It almost looks like that. They're like, he's just, he's not even straining. And he's young. And Atlas is a God who's probably been alive for thousands and thousands of years. And he's struggling under the weight. But this little um, boy, Jesus, he's holding it in his hand. And it, and it goes back to the song. He's got the whole world in his hands. This one's so um, blunt that it's, he's just got it in one hand. And so then the question is this. We have a choice to make. Either we live like Atlas, and we're not gods, by the way, so it's a lot harder on us. We can live like Atlas and have the whole world on our shoulders and refuse to give it up and all that. Or we have another choice to make, and we can just say, Lord, I just die, give up. And I just need you. I surrender to you. I give um, my whole world to you. And I give everything else in the world that I'm trying to hold that I just can't. It's not even my responsibility. I'm trying to hold on to it. And so these are the, the choices that we have to make. So my question is this. What are those things in life that are crushing you that you thought you had to carry on your own? But you just need to ask for help or you need to get away from it or ultimately just surrender it to Jesus. What are those things we're trying to do on our own that we just know, man, I just can't. I cannot do it. Because here's the thing. The enemy... The devil himself wants you to stay like Atlas, to convince yourself that you've got to be a superhero. You've got to be a God. You've got to figure it all out. 
And then also in, in line of all, with all that, he wants you to stay stuck in shame and guilt and condemnation and all these sorts of things as well. When Jesus literally is just right there and he goes, I can take all that. I can take all that and it's not even heavy for me. For you, it's crushing you. For me, I'll just take it and go, cool. It's that easy. And so we stay in this spot. So if you won't mind standing where we are closing now, I promise that's where we go. Hey, everybody, thank you so much. We are so honored that you chose to join us today for this message. And our prayer is for you and your family that you would be uplifted and encouraged. If today you receive Christ or if you would like to give to the vision of Landmark Church, if you would go to our website, www.landmarkchurchok.com, there's more information there, how you can do all of that. And also, if you have a prayer request, please let us know how we can be praying for you guys. We love you and hope you have a blessed time.